Well, good morning again. It's our privilege this morning to continue our sermon series. Uh, it's titled The God We Can Know. And what a gift. Um, even as Matt was leading us in the prayer confession, to be able to know God, to run to his word, to run to his sanctuary, to see him. And we've been able to do that now for several weeks. And I've just been thankful for what that has meant to us as a church uh, as we look to the attributes of God, not so that we can have an intellectual knowledge, but so that we can actually know the God who has written this beautiful story. We've used the, the fourth question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism as our guide for pointing us to these attributes of God. And the question is a simple one. It says, what is God? And the answer that the catechism has is, is this one. It is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, his wisdom, his power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. As we've looked um, at this for the last several weeks, the last six weeks, we've seen all of these attributes, and and we're going to finish today with the attribute of, of God is truth, the truth of God. What does that mean? And as Matt just said, In our current news cycle, we've seen chaos and circumstances that that have have us us questioning what's going on. And we've needed to hear these truths. My heart rejoices in knowing that God is a spiritual being, that he's complete, he's eternal, he's immutable, he's infinite, and he's wise. I've been encouraged, as Jeremiah pointed several weeks ago, to God's holiness when everything around me is evil and unholy. I've been, uh, John Minton's preaching on God's, his, his power and his goodness has buoyed my spirit as we've looked at what it's like when the world is spinning out of control and it seems like there's chaos to know that God is in control, that he's powerful. Two weeks ago, Mark pointing us to God's justice to remind us in the midst of abounding injustice and unrighteousness that the king is still on his throne. And his justice and mercy abound. And one day it's going to be complete on earth as it is in heaven. And we trust and we hope for that. And so in the midst of all of this, we've had our hearts pointed to who God is so that we can know him. Today we're going to look at God's truth. Again, it's a word that we need to hear when all of the noise seems false and deceitful and you don't know who to trust. We need truth. I want to begin this morning with a definition that is man's definition. It's out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, but it defines truth as the following. It says, it has two definitions, the property of being in accord with fact or reality. And the second definition is truth is sincerity in action, character, and utterance. Now, we don't lean on Webster's Dictionary for the definition of what truth is. But it does help us to get our mind around this idea. And so today we're going to look to God's word to see what he has to say about what truth is. And we're going to be in Psalm 43, so I would invite you to turn there as I get ready to read in a minute. But the idea that that God is truth, that he is the greatest reality, and we talked about that in the opening sermon of this series that his reality is the greatest reality that we can have. It's the one that defines us best. And then today we look at 
the truth of God and his sincerity in action and character, how he is unchangeable, how he is true. And we're going to see that, that he is the whole truth, which is the only real truth because everything else is a partial knowledge. But we're going to look at that today. Psalm 43. Hopefully you found it and you can follow along as I read. Verse 1, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning desiring to know you, desiring to know truth, knowing that we can't find it anywhere else. And so we come to your word and we say, Lord, speak to us this morning. Show us who you are. Our desire is to know you. Even in the midst of, of struggle, even in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of unbelief, where we, our actions show that we really want to know something else, Lord, I pray that, that we would want to know you today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, as we behold um, your power to save, that we would be in awe, that we would worship, Lord, that we wouldn't long to know you simply for uh, gaining intellect or knowledge, but we would long to know you for relationship, that we would long to know you um, as God, our God, God, my God, just as the psalmist says. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. I pray for uh, those that are scattered throughout the world, Lord, your church scattered throughout the world, Lord, that to get are gathering together in the same way, longing to know you. Lord, that's the prayer of not just Cross Point Coast, but the church as a whole. And so we pray that you would reveal yourself, and we thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. Holy Spirit, guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to walk through the passage, and, and we're going to look at it in three sections. The, the first two verses uh, really kind of show what the psalmist is looking at. As he looks around him, he sees, he, he says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So he looks around, the psalmist looks around, he sees ungodly people, he sees deceitful people, he sees an unjust man, and he sees the oppression of the enemy. And, and that's, that's the circumstances that he's in. And deceit, we want to look, because we're looking at, the, at God's truth, we see that man is deceitful. Man is not God. If there's anything that we've learned over the last seven weeks, it's that we are not God. God is very different from who we are. And I hope we've understood this more, that as much as we want to be, we, we are not God. 
God is the creator and we are his creatures. And we've seen that that line is very definite. It separates us from him. So even the communicable attributes, those attributes that are seen in his people are not the same as they are in God. We've seen that the difference between God's goodness and man's goodness is not simply quantitative. It's not that God is just that much better. It's, it's to the degree that it becomes qualitative, that when we say that God is good, we're not talking about the same way that you or I are good. It's so much better that it becomes something else. And yet, we've also seen that we are image bearers, that God has created us in his image to reflect his glory, to reflect his attributes to the world. But this puts us in two separate categories, and we see them clearly defined in the psalm. We are deceitful, unjust, ungodly. We oppress, and yet God is righteous. He's true, he's just, and he's gracious. And so these things are are opposites. They're not the same, unless... Something is godly, then it is not truth. So when we talk about deceit and truth, we're talking about man being deceitful and God being truth. God is truth. God has complete knowledge, past and present, so he alone understands and speaks truth. When we begin to think about truth, truth is the the fullness of reality, understanding the fullness of reality. We used the definition earlier, the property of being in accord with fact or reality. So the understanding of all things is the only person that could actually speak truth, the one who understands everything. We have an idea, we have partial knowledge, and yet we don't have full truth, but God has full truth. Truth is how all of God's attributes tie together, his knowledge, his power, his foreknowledge, knowing the future, his wisdom. All of these things are tied together in God's truth. The psalmist is questioning the truth. He's looking around and all he sees is deceitful people, unjust people, and he's longing for the refuge that he knows he has in God. And he asks questions. He says, why? Where are you, God? Jesus spoke to this in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so this, there's not... Just because there's trouble doesn't mean there's an absence of God or God is not true. We're going to have trouble. There will be suffering. There will be these things going on. And so where do we look for truth? Often when we lose sight of God and we begin to focus on the things around us, life becomes pretty bleak. We become worn out, as Matt said. We get tired and we're crushed under that weight. And the sin and unbelief make it difficult to see God again. This isn't, the psalmist isn't someone who doesn't know God, and so he's looking around. He, he does know God, and yet he's still struggling with seeing God in the midst of his circumstances. That's got to be a hope for us. That's got to be a gift that, that in the midst of circumstances, when we can ask why, we can say, God, where are you? Just like the psalmist, and yet it would continue to come back to the truth of God's word. Charles Spurgeon made the following note when he was looking at this psalm, and he says, It is beautiful to observe how David's longing to be away from the oppression of man 
always leads him to sigh more intensely for communion with God. As we look around and we see the sin so prevalent in our world, it it creates a longing and a hope and a desire for us to be where there is no sin, for us to find that refuge that the psalmist is talking about, the God in whom I take refuge in verse 2. In times where it seems like the enemy is winning, we need to have our priorities realigned. We need to realign our sight and look to God. Instead of looking at those circumstances and what's going on in the world, we need to see God's truth in his word. And then when we feel like we must do something, and I think that that's a tension that a lot of us have felt lately, we need to remember what Jesus has already accomplished and what he's doing through us. So rather than looking at the world, we look to God, and we see that in verse 3. We can't rescue ourselves. We need a Savior. So the psalmist cries out, and he says, Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. The psalmist is longing for God to send light and truth. You see, the author understands that these two things lead God's people to himself. They draw him back to himself. God is truth. He sent his son, Jesus, who is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John eight twelve, Jesus proclaims that he's the light. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This psalmist is crying out that God would send out his light and his truth. And God had a plan the whole time from the beginning of eternity to send his light and his truth in the person of Jesus to redeem a world that is full of injustice, deceit, ungodliness, oppression, and that Jesus would come and he would be the one that saves us and leads his people back to God, reconciling them to God, restoring them to right relationship with God. And how did he do that? We talked about the wisdom of God and salvation a couple weeks ago. We need to remember that, that God had a perfect plan to redeem the world, that in the midst of the chaos and struggle, God sent himself. He sent the light and the truth, which was himself, and he humbled himself, and he was born of a virgin, and he came and he dwelt among sinful people, and he lived a perfect, righteous life in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus went healing, proclaiming the gospel that that we are saved, setting people free, setting the captives free. Jesus' mission was to come to live that perfect life and then to die in our place. That was the wisdom and the perfect truth of God's plan from the beginning of time, that he would come and he would save his people. He would be the light and he would be the truth. And so Jesus came and he died in our place. We who deserved uh, the wrath of God, we who deserved death because of our sin, Jesus came, bore our sin on the cross, died a sinner's death, died a criminal's death in our place that we could then be given his righteousness to walk in, to live in, to rejoice in. 
And so as the psalmist cries out hundreds of years before Jesus, send your light and your truth, God had a plan to send his light and truth. And he leads us back to himself, to his presence. We see it. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Through the perfect obedience of Christ, we can now be in the presence of God. We can now experience the reality of truth, the greatest reality that we could possibly know. Better than anything that we can see around us, we can trust that God is good, that he's just. And we see all of that in Jesus. We also see that it's not simply Jesus that is truth. The whole Trinity is truth. He sent a spirit. Jesus refers to the spirit in John 14, 17 as the spirit of truth. And so the one of the beautiful things is we have this graphic that has the Trinity in it. And, and the, all of the aspects of God, all of the attributes of God are seen in the fullness of the Trinity. It's beautiful that God has sent his Holy Spirit to, to lead us in truth. I think there's a, there's a warning here. If Jesus is the truth, and we've talked about only having a, a portion because we have a finite mind. We don't have all of the perspective, so we can't actually know truth fully because only God knows it and only God is truth. But if Jesus is the truth and he's not part of what we're proclaiming, then we're not proclaiming truth. And that's hard for us because often we, we want to respect people. We want to honor different beliefs. And yet, if Jesus is truth, then he has to be proclaimed. We have to be proclaiming what he's done. We have to be walking and resting in what he's done. Jesus is the truth, and this is the gospel. And the truth sanctifies God's people. We see, I would just encourage you over the next week to read uh, the passage in John where Jesus talks to his disciples from John 14 through 17. It's beautiful, and there's a lot of uh, Jesus speaking about truth and what it means that he's sent by the Father and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to read those things, but in John 17, 17, Jesus is praying to the Father and he's praying for us, his people, the people that the psalmist is crying out that, that would be led back to God. John 17, 7 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so we've been given God's word to rest in. Our knowledge of God leads us into holiness as we're conformed into the image of God by being in the presence of God. That's the only place that true change is going to happen is in the presence of God as we realize what he's done by the work of his son and what he's doing by the work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And verse 3 says, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. In that place, we begin to not see the circumstances of our life going on, but we begin to see who God is, to trust who he is, to rest in who he is. And then, as we're going to see, it changes the perspective that we have of all those things going on around us. 
This is the presence of God, and this is where we are in Jesus. We are restored and reconciled to our holy God in his dwelling. Verses 4 and 5 say, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God, the, the psalmist, just like last week when John Minton was talking about the goodness of God and the, the change that took place, again, the psalm starts with looking out and seeing wickedness abounding and ungodliness abounding, and yet then he's brought back to the presence of God, and in that presence, he's restored to being right with God, and, he's, and it just causes exceeding joy. Out of gratitude for God's grace, his restoration of communion, and God's reconciling us to his presence, we worship with joy. The fact that we should not be in his presence, but Jesus has come as the truth and the light, and he's made a way for us to be in his presence, leads us to joy, exceeding joy. And then he goes on and he says, oh God, and he doesn't stop there, he says, my God. There's a personal intimacy there. That because of being in his presence, he remembers that not only is he God and he's powerful and in control, but he's my God. He has saved me. He has rescued me. And so this heart change that's taking place in the psalmist's heart leads to soul change. He, he, he grasps the belief that he needs to, to cling to, that God is good, that he sends out his light and his truth, that he restores me and reconciles me to himself. And so he has the heart change. After remembering who God is, he reminds his soul to live accordingly. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? If all of these things are true, that God has sent his light and his truth, that he's brought me back to himself that at the altar of God I have this exceeding joy, that I will praise Him, O God, my God. Soul, why are you looking around? Why are you downcast? Why are you believing these things that are not the truth? Why so much turmoil? Hope in God. Believe and live. Jesus said that we must worship in spirit and in truth. In John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he he says, but the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You see, our worship of God is intangible. It's, It's spirit, it's a belief. It's something that's in our, in our spirit. It's faith and trust. But it's also tangible truth. It's reality. It is God-glorifying works that are done out of a heart of gratitude for, for our Savior. James talks about faith without works is dead. So there's got to be this connection between the belief and the actual living out what we're saying we believe. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's, he's taking that belief and he's saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why is there so much turmoil? Why is it affecting you that way? Hope in God. 
And I shall again praise him. We must have both. We must worship God and believe him and his word. And we must walk in truth, displaying the change that, is, that he's worked in us through his son, Jesus. And we must trust in, in our salvation through God. You see, belief leads to a life of worship. All of our life should be a reflection of our gratitude to God for his grace in sending Jesus, who is the light and the truth that came to save us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that um, from the very beginning, you had planned to redeem a people knowing that we would sin, knowing that we would chase after lesser things, you knew that it would take sending your son. God, and you sent your light and your truth to lead us back to yourself, to reconcile us to yourself, to redeem us. God, and so we rejoice in that. Lord, who are we that you are even mindful of us, Lord, that you, but that you would include us in this plan to bring you glory? God, and our souls get downcast. We look and we, our minds are in turmoil. Lord, we forget the truth. But God, you are truth. I pray that today you would remind us of that. Lord, that we would continue to read your word, continue to look for who you are and how you've been faithful and how you've been consistent in all of your dealings, Lord. God, I pray that we would trust that to be true. I thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus. We rejoice in who he is. We rejoice in, in your great love for us, that you would give up yourself. Lord, that you would receive uh, the punishment that was due us, the wrath that was due us. Lord, and you would bestow upon us your righteousness. God, we love you and we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.